26 of A Woman of Yesterday. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Woman of Yesterday by Caroline Atwater Mason. Chapter 26. Sin is not a monster to be mused on, but an impotence to be got rid of. Matthew Arnold. Use sin as it will use you. Spare it not, for it will not spare you. It is your murderer and the murderer of the world. Use it, therefore, as a murderer should be used. Kill it before it kills you, and though it kills your body, it shall not be able to kill your souls. And though it bring you to the grave as it did your head, it shall not be able to keep you there. Baxter John Gregory met the demand thus made upon him with all the moral and spiritual resources of which he was master, for all were needed. The full strength of the man's personality was brought into action, the lofty severity, the unflinching hate of sin, and yet the clear vision which could not see beyond the torture and taint of it, and sound the depth of nature which thus agonized for redemption and re for righteousness the only sin he said in the words of another which is unforgiven is a sin which is unrepented of that early yielding to a paroxysm of jealousy and rage had a fearful and yet may even be merciful result there are those who had given way to worse and no result following have lived on in the hardness of heart and contempt of God's law, Christ's inflexible law, far more rigorous than the old laws of Moses, says he that helped his brother is a murderer. Murder, then, is the commonest of social sins, rather than the rarest. Christ also says that it was for sinners that he came to die, righteous. His love overflows all our sin, and finds no halt at the degrees of guilt which men have emphasized in their shallow judgment. Men judge consequences by outward events. God looks upon the heart. Looking upon the heart as far as we may, with God, I say then, you have been guilty of murder, for so have other men. Many a man has cherished a spirit of bitter revenge and hatred against one who had injured him. Who has not suffered what you have, not having caused or profited by the death of that person, directly or indirectly? But before God, you are perhaps equally guilty. I do not count your sins slight. I would not seek to make it small in your own eyes. But I believe that you are released from the guilt and burden borne so long, and should no longer stagger under it. Has not Almighty God given to his servant powers and commandment to declare to those who are penitent the absolution and remission of their sins? What did our Lord say to the leper who sought his cleansing? I will be thou clean. Even this he says to you. Throw off that old yoke of bondage. It is your right. Go free in the liberty of the sons of God, but go to sin no more. These words, spoken with the authority of a priest and with the solemnity of absolute conviction, 
brought something of light and released the troubled heart of Ingram. The hour was late indeed, morning was at hand, when lifting his face upon which certain calmness had settled, he said to Gregory earnestly, I believe I grasp the truth of what you say, and that there is for me a certain peace, a partial release, although forgetfulness never. But this is not enough. The cry of my whole soul is to make restitution in some sort, somewhere, although how and to whom I cannot see. I still have the stain that I profit by my sin. What can you tell me? Do you see a way for me? John Gregory looked at Ingram steadily for a moment before speaking and then said very slowly, Do you remember what the master said to a certain ruler? Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and come, follow me. If you are in earnest, Mr. Ingram, and if you feel that, as your experience of the sin has been in no light and common form, but in a depth of agony which few men ever know, repentance should be along no mild and easy lines, but should reach to the foundations of your life. If I say you see things thus, and can bear so strong prescription, I should repeat to you literally what Christ said to the rich ruler. It is hard saying, not every man can receive. The two men faced each other in silence for a moment, and Gregory saw the leap of a sudden question in the other's eyes. No, he said sternly, as if in answer to a spoken inquiry. I am not advising you with an eye on my own advantage. My thought was not of my own cause, but of the cause of humanity anywhere. Pardon me if I speak plainly. I could not use a farthing of your money, were it all at my disposal, for building up the work I am seeking to establish in Fraternia. Recall what you heard me say tonight of the true kingdom of God. I could not use your money, Mr. Ingram, in seeking to show forth that kingdom, but I could use you. You should you wish to come with us if you came empty-handed. The lawyer felt the pitiless severity of Gregory's moral standard and all that this dictum implied, but he did not resist it. His humiliation and submission were sincere, and for the time at least controlling, but doubt and conflict was plainly read in his face. Is it a hard saying? John Gregory asked with a slight smile. Yes, harder than you know. I could do what you say were I alone to be considered, but to reduce my family to beggary, to cut short my career, and stain my reputation by the cloud, which would inevitably rest upon it and the community by such an unheard of course of action, to take my wife and daughters from their social world to follow me, sent like a scapegoat into some wilderness. Really, Mr. Gregory, what you name is beyond reason. Gregory made absolutely no response. After a long silence, Ingram said thoughtfully, This is about the way I see for myself. From this time on, I shall seek to live a humbler and sincerely Christian life, and shall strive in every way to open me to aid and further the cause of righteousness, with my money and with my influence. In this way, I shall bring happiness and satisfaction to my wife, to whom I owe the highest obligation, next to God, instead of destroying her comfort by dragging her with me into some late missionary endeavor.
or eccentric experiment. Pardon me, Mr. Gregory, if I speak too plainly. But this is not all. Although I feel no individual call in the direction of your cooperative colony, and am not over-sanguine of its success, I do believe profoundly in you, personally, as I must have shown you. Now I want you to reconsider what you said a little while ago. Frankly, this discriminating between money made in one way or another savors to me in superstition. This money, which is mine, cannot be destroyed. Even you would hardly advise that. Why not put it to a good use, the best possible from your point of view? I've never given away money largely, but I am able to, and I want to seal our interview tonight with a substantial gift. As he spoke, Ingram turned to his desk and touched a checkbook which lay upon it. Mr. Gregory, I want to write my check for $50,000 to be placed unconditionally in your hands. You want a little church down there in your settlement, and you want it beautiful, worthy of its purpose. You want a library. Both are necessary to carry on the kind of work you project. Here they are. And again, he touched the little leather book with his forefinger. Let me do that much as a memorial of this night and what you have done for me. John Gregory met the look of sincere and even anxious appeal with which these words were spoken with unyielding, although not unkindly, firmness. This is a generous impulse on your part, Mr. Ingram. Do not for a moment think I fail to appreciate it. You are right. The money must be used and will be. I hope, promptly and wisely, you must pardon me a certain over-nicety, perhaps in preferring not to build my church in Fraternia, or even my library. With it, you will find a plenty of men less fastidious, and no one but myself will, I suppose, have reason to entertain such scruples. Gregory had risen, and was ready now to go. It was four o'clock, he found, by his watch, and it had been a long vigil. But while Ingram's face was haggard and even ghastly, that of Gregory was unchanged in its massive firmness and its strong, fine lines. Ingram stood at his desk, plainly chagrined and ill at ease. In your eyes, I see, he said ruefully, I'm still in the place of the man who away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Perhaps, said Gregory, it is too soon to tell. Every man must judge for himself, Mr. Gregory, when it comes to the supreme acts of life. Yes, said the other, sadly, to the supreme acts or to the supreme compromises. Will you excuse me now? I believe that I must go. Gregory held out his hand, which Ingram grasped with eagerness. You have honored me by your confidence and your generosity. Count me your friend if you will. Good night. End of chapter 26